Again, welcome to Ashland Place. I'm at this church, and we want to thank you again for choosing to worship with us this morning in this virtual world. And I just want to give a brief word about this virtual worship and the church and church buildings. Uh, we have been making our way through these three months of this response to the pandemic, and we have put together a task force that is helping us to determine best practices and timing to begin reopening our church buildings. Please understand that we are not so much concerned about the about the young and the very healthy. Rather, the church um, has its charge to look after the least and to protect the vulnerable. So we get it. Things are beginning to open and things are reopening more quickly than others. And we look forward to the day when we can welcome people back face to face in our sanctuary and in our fellowship hall. But we want to do this in the right time and in the right way. For the next three weeks, we will be virtual as we continue to monitor the data points. We are looking for downward trajectories in reported new cases, a lower reproduction rate, and lower uh, positive test rates. These are the data points we are kind of monitoring and, and um, assessing when the timing is right, and, and then we will look at policies and recommendations to, to begin to open and, and how the procedures we'll, we'll need to follow uh, to be together face-to-face. -to -face. So in the coming weeks, you'll begin to hear more about the procedures and the policies to reopen our building. Uh, until then, we will, uh, until we again meet face to face, I encourage us all to continue to be the church, to be the church beyond the walls. That is, after all, the identity and the purpose of the church. Today, we find ourselves in a, a different location um, along the path of a train tracks. We are here because it reminds us of travel, of movement, of moving to and from different places, being moved by God to new places, new ideas and new ways. These are some of the lessons that we will find as we study and consider the lives of the patriarchs. This will be our new sermon series. We will spend several weeks considering the lives of the patriarchs, those of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. As Christians, we find ourselves identifying uh, with our Jewish heritage. It is from the Jewish line that we find our history, and we find our identity, and it's from the Jewish lineage that we find God working in unique ways to save the entire world, that is, all nations. Scholars have identified uh, different, numerous starting points of Jewish identity in the Jewish history. Some argue that the Jewish history begins with the kings who offered a vision of an organized and identifiable kingdom. Some argue that it was a confederation of tribes during the conquest of Canaan. Still others have said it was the organization and the call of the, of people, of, the people of God during the exodus from Egypt. And still others reach further back to the lives of the patriarchs, namely Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But we can go back still further to Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, and further still to the promise of a nation in the, in the lineage of Abraham. So today, as we stand along these train tracks, thinking about moving from place to place and from new places to different places, the movement of people, the movement of the world, the movement of the church, the movement of God among God's people and among human history, this is the movement of God among the patriarchs and how we can take lessons and faith lessons from their lives. So we'll begin this week with Abraham. We will call him Abraham through this sermon, 
though his name in the scriptures is Abram. It was later changed to Abraham, the more familiar Abraham. And that's how we will refer to him throughout this sermon. And now I invite us to hear a reading from chapter 12 and chapter 15 of Genesis. As we begin to um, hear the reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 12 and 15, I want us to take a step back into chapter 11 where we find Abram, uh, Abraham with his father living um, in uh, Haran. They have moved from um, Ur down in South Mesopotamia to the north, uh, to the northern end of the Mesopotamia in a, in a town, a village, a city called Haran. And that is where we pick up with the story of Abraham. His father has moved, picked up the family and moved them heading towards Canaan, but made it as far as Haran, which is about 600 miles, 600, 700 miles away from, from Ur. And so this is where we find uh, Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now continuing with chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these two pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, 
and the Jebusites. And this is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. A good friend of ours in Dothan, when we lived there, was Mr. Harry. His family called him Pawpaw. He was an elderly gentleman, was a member of uh, the old man Sunday school class, the flower Sunday, men's Sunday school class, and they met every Sunday. And, and when I entered seminary back in the early 2000s, they invited me to come and teach their class for a couple of weeks. And so I went into the chapel where they met on Sunday morning at 9.45 and um, stood behind the little lectern there that had a built-in amplifier and speaker. And so I was standing there with my notes and my Bible and we went through this lesson. I thought it would be kind of a question and answer, kind of a, you know, kind of a conversational uh, lesson. It was very much a, a lecture style, so I had to stretch out a, a much, um, a very short lesson into a longer session. But as they began to leave after the president of the class closed the, closed the class with a prayer, they were getting to file out through the side door, and as they were filing out, they were created this little line, and they were all coming by and saying, thank you for you know, teaching the class. Thank you, thank you. And, and Mr. Harry, who was in the line, came by and he stuck out his hand. And I shook his hand and he said, uh, thank you for leading the class. It was a great lesson. I really appreciated it. And he says, thank you so much. And I said, well, thank you, Mr. Harry. And, and he walked about you know, three steps or so and he turned around as he approached the door and he turned to the guy behind him and he said, I didn't hear a word that guy said. So <laughs> I think about that that moment and I think about Mr. Harry and his life and, and what brought him to that moment and what brought me to that moment and how that has um, it's been informative in some strange little way. But Mr. Harry's story is, is pretty incredible. Uh, Mr. Harry was from Salipta, Alabama um, and um, growing up in the 20s and, and um, as a young man he was, had left high school, went to college for a little bit and, and then was going to take a job with with uh, one, of the, one of the New Deal programs. He was going to make his way to Georgia to um, take advantage of the New Deal. And, and he climbed on a bus and, and made his way across Alabama. And, and he arrived in, in Dothan, Alabama, where they were going to take a quick break and pick up some more passengers. And, and he decided he would, he would get off the bus and, and he was going to go find his uncle who had a glass um, shop there and glass company. And he took a job with his, with his uncle. and. Um, ended up having that job and then took a job with um, one of the, uh, uh, I guess it's a, it would be a pharmacy and he um, was, met, a, met a young woman who was working in the soda fountain shop and, and they got married and, and raised a family there in Dothan, Alabama. And it's just funny to me that as he was making his way to Georgia for this new deal, this new place, this new uh, way of living, he made it as far as Dothan, Alabama, 20 miles from Georgia. And he got off the bus and he said, this is basically, basically he said, this is where I'm going to stay. He fell in love with Dothan and spent his entire, the rest of his life there, raising his boys. His boys are still there and his grandsons are there now. And uh, Mr. Harry has long since passed away. And I, I take his story as a, as, a, as a man who was on an adventure and living out his life in this journey and was going to, the, to a place and in in, into an activity, into a plan that he um, was for a better life and for a better opportunity. And he landed in Dothan, and that's where he needed to be. But it was in this unfamiliar place, in this unknown place, that he was able to have new starts. And his story reminds me a good bit of the story of Abraham and the patriarchs. As Abraham, as I mentioned before we had the scripture reading, it was Abraham's father 
uh, Terran who took the family from the southern portions of the Mesopotamia in the, in the city of Ur and moved them, household, all their belongings and everyone, and moved them to the north. His plan was to go to Canaan to start a new life, to, be, to enter this unfamiliar and unknown land, but a land of opportunity, a land that was rich and a land that was, well, it had promise. And he, he made it as far as Haran, which was several hundred miles away, and Canaan was still several hundred miles away. But that's where Abram's father lived and died, and that's where he began to make his own home and his own familiar and make his own way, his familiar life. But it's in this new place that God approaches Abram and says, I'm going to show you a new land. And this will be your land. And I'm going to bless you with offspring and you will have a lineage and you will have a legacy. But I'm going to show you this new land. And so I look at Abraham as he is, is, has now, he's a man, a full-grown man. He's living, he's married in Haran. And it's in Haran that God approaches him and offers him yet a new start in this new place. And it's there we pick up the story of Abraham. And this is, it, it's, it's amazing to me that we stand along a railroad track where people have traveled these tracks and, and equipment and, and resources and produce and supplies have traveled these tracks and continue to travel these tracks from place to place. And I think about all the movement that occurs in the life of Abraham as he, as he as a, as a, a married man moves from his, his hometown of Ur and moves to Haran, makes that his town, makes his life there, and then God comes again to say, this is not the end. This is not the terminal point. This is just, it's a layover, because I have a new place, and a new life, and a new way for you. And so he, he invites Abram to pick up all that he has, his family, his household, and begin this journey to a new, unfamiliar place. And that's, that's a, there's a lesson there for us as we continue to, to think about where we are today in this virtual world. The church continues to move. The church is not closed. It never has been closed. It never will close if we believe Jesus Christ that nothing will stop His church. Nothing will stop His love and His people those who follow Him. So if we take that, we understand that our buildings might be, might be closed, but the church is very much open and moving. And it's like Abram, who was Abraham, and his wife Sarah, and who will be his children, Isaac and Ishmael, their, their life continues to move. And as we look back over their life, as we consider that this is the beginning of the Jewish lineage, the Jewish nation begins with Abraham, if that's our starting point, then think about the movement that has occurred from this new start, a start that didn't get Abraham's father where he thought he was going to go, but he got the family started. And God intersects with human history and human plans and offers a new plan, a new idea, a new place, a new movement and a faith 
that we can find assurance in that God is with us? That was Abraham's question. We all would have questions if, if we hear a call from God to say, you're, you're not going to stay where you are. I'm gonna, I want you to go to a place you don't know, a place you're unfamiliar with, to do something you don't know, to do something you're not familiar with. If we have that call, if we hear that call in our life, what does that mean for us? What, what would be our questions? What would rise up? What, what discomfort, what, oh, what anxiety and fear would raise up within us? Now we, we have this experience. If we look back over our lives, we all have this experience. And if we look back over our lives in the lens of faith, we will find God with us in these new starts, in these unfamiliar places that are driving us to, to new and different, unfamiliar places, to unfamiliar ideas and unfamiliar practices and, and notions. But that's, that's God with us. And that is a powerful, powerful faith that we have. And, and, but, but we have these fears. We have these anxieties. They, they, they boil up within us and they, they spill over into questions. Abram had the question, Lord, where, what, what are you to do with me? Where, where, where are my children? I, I have no heir. The only heir I have is from a, a child of a slave in my household. What assurance do I have you're going to be with me that I'm going to have this legacy, this, these offspring? Guess what you've told me? Lord, you told me that I would, I would be a nation would come from my lineage. And so God, attentive in feeling Abram's fear, feels our fears, our anxieties, and feels our questions and gives us answers in ways that we can understand. And the answer that God gives Abram is this incredible covenant we call the Abrahamic covenant, which is when, when God tells Abraham to go and, and get a ram and get a heifer and, and, and get a goat, and we're gonna, you're going to cut these, you're going to sacrifice these these animals, you're going to cut them in half and you're going to stack them on either side of each other. And we're going to stand with our respective piles of carcass. Because the covenant was a serious illustration, image, example, and promise. That as Abraham stood with that stacked up half carcass of animals, the Lord God was standing next to that half of the carcass, heaped up on top of itself. Because the understanding is that we're going to make this promise, and if we don't honor this promise, if either of us breaks this promise for any reason, we understand, I understand as my part and player in this covenant, that this will happen to me if I break the promise. And the Lord God understands and, and, and adheres to the notion that if God breaks His promise, that this is what happens to God. But what we have learned through the history since Abraham is God does not break His promise, does not break His covenants. And that, that illustration, that example, that covenant-making God gives Abraham something that he can absolutely rely on and put all of his trust and faith in. And that's what we are allowed to participate in. We may not make covenants that way anymore. And certainly humanity is good at breaking covenants and promises. But we know from the history of Abraham forward, the history of humanity with God, God 
doesn't break his promises. His covenants are good for all time and in all places. Under all circumstances, God's promises are steadfast. And with that, with that notion and that example and that experience of a covenant making, Abraham could now move with the assurance that God was with him, was with his family, and that he would certainly have a great nation that would come through his legacy, through his lineage. You know, as I, as I think about the life of Abraham and, and, and having these questions and having these concerns about you know, moving to a new life from, from a fairly new life, I, I, I'm almost, well, I am embarrassed to say, I, I, I've been watching, our whole family has been watching um, this show, a reality show. It's, it's, a, it's an awful show, but it's like watching a train wreck. You just can't help it. Um, once you start, it's, you're, you're in, and you have to see how it ends. So I've watched 12 episodes of this show called um, 90 Day Fiance. If you haven't seen it, don't, 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 don't get involved. <laughs> don't, don't dive in. It's hard to get out. But this, this show takes six couples who are, um, one of them is a U.S. citizen, born and raised in the United States, and another, the other half of the couple is from a foreign country. And so they have this uh, visa program where they have 90 days. Once they are accepted in the visa program, once they have their visa, they have 90 days to make a decision if they're going to get married or not get married. And, and this show kind of follows these six couples as they um, work through the, the visa process and as they begin this 90-day journey to determine how they're going to make a life together, coming from different cultures and different lands and different languages and, and different understandings and different worldviews. It is incredible to watch these people coming from Europe and from Africa and from Asia coming in to the United States to, to find that life doesn't operate the same. And, and for these U.S. citizens who are, are, are in these relationships, or these developing relationships, find, a, find that their life is drastically different, that they have to understand new languages and new cultures. And all the while they're figuring out the, the visa process and they're, they're figuring out life together and they're figuring out how, how all this comes together. I just can't imagine having done premarital counseling uh, numerous times and, and, and understanding and seeing and hearing the questions and the concerns and the fears and anxieties that come with every relationship. I can't imagine all of the additional uh, weight and factors that come in from, from this international, different world, world cultures clashing and coming together. It, 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 it is mind-boggling. But one thing that it comes through for this thing, for this show for me, is that these people who leave uh, Moldova, um, small, small country in, East, in Eastern Europe, a guy makes his way to the United States. He leaves everything that he knows, everything he understands, and he, he comes to the United States with this grand hope and grand plan that he's gonna find love and a family and opportunity in this wonderful, beautiful country. But at the same time, he has to leave everything. It's an unknown, but it's an unknown good that he's entering into. But it still comes with the unknown. It comes with all kinds of questions. And as he makes his way here under this visa program, it's just a new start to a new start, which will give a new start. It's just a complete series, cascading series of new starts. And that's what we see in Abraham. 
And that's what we see in our life if we look back over our lives, if we look down the, the tracks of our life, we will see that we have a series of new starts. And if we look down this life with faithful eyes and a faithful lens, we will see where God is with us because God has not broken His promise and will not break His promise to be with us. So as I think about the journey that I've been on from, from Dothan with, with Mr. Harry and thinking about how his journey went from Solipta, that was a really loud car. But Mr. Harry comes from Solipta to Dothan and our lives intersect as my life was beginning something new. He had seen numerous new starts. And for me, arriving in Dothan for a new start, to start a new something yet again new, to start seminary, to begin a, a new career, a new vocation in ministry, all of these new starts we can see unraveling and unfolding through the tracks of our life. So I invite us to hang on to the promise and the assurance of God's steadfast love, the covenant-keeping God who is Yahweh, who is the Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who, who works in unique ways through the Jewish history and lineage to create a pathway and a way of world sal salvation of the world this is an amazing opportunity that we have to just stand where we are, even in the unknown place where we are in this particular time, and to be able to look back over our lives and to be able to see where God was there in every new start, in every turn of something new, something different, something unfamiliar. God's goodness, God's grace, God's loving kindness was there. So as we look forward to the journey that lies ahead, we can move forward in our life knowing that God is with us, that God's grace and love and strength and peace will be with us. And I invite us at this time to affirm our faith in this God this triune God that we find in the formula of the Apostles' Creed. Let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.